Good morning. Well, you all saw the email that Pastor Brad sent out saying that uh, there was some COVID tested positive in their home. So I have half a mind to think that's why the congregation is not as full as, as it usually is. Perhaps they, they found out that uh, Matt and I were leading the service. I want to remind you that uh, the COVID survival rate for zero to 19 year olds is 99.997%. For 20 to 49 year olds, it's 99.98%. For 50 to 69 year olds, it's 99.5%. And for those 70 and over, it does drop to 94.6%. And that even takes into consideration the, the idea that there are some that have that, that uh, pass away with COVID compared to those that pass away from COVID. You see the distinction there. So we pray for Brad, pray for him, continue to pray for him and his family. Um, I think Carrie's parents as well aren't, aren't doing as well there in Hanford, so we will pray for them. But I am blessed to be here with you this morning, and um, I hope that we can bring God's word and God will reveal his will to us. Let me open in prayer, and then we'll turn to Psalm chapter 19. Heavenly Father, your word is holy and perfect. Pray that it work in our lives. Teach us this morning, Father. Open our ears and our eyes, soften our hearts, and speak to us as you do in creation. You are a God who speaks. And you speak finally and fully and most clearly in your word, that infallible and inerrant word of God. We thank you now, Father, for your person and work in Christ who came to pay the penalty for our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me, please, to Psalm chapter 19. This is a psalm that many of us know well, and I hope to bring, to bring out, uh, really it's, it's just magnificent sort of poetry. So let me read it first and then we'll, we'll dig in. I have sort of a lengthy introduction, and then we'll go the best we can verse by verse. So here's the text of Psalm chapter 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. So what we learn in this psalm is that God is not silent. Unlike the false gods who are mute, who cannot speak, our God speaks. We learn in Roman, or, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews writes, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. God is in the business of communicating. And so the question we seek to answer this morning is, what is it that God is saying? And, and how does God speak to us? So first, a few words about Revelation. Not the text, not the last book of the Bible that Brad has been preaching through, but about revelation, how God reveals himself to us. Revelation is this, God's communication of truth from God to man. It is God giving knowledge of himself, teaching us truths about himself. When we are speaking about God speaking, what we are speaking about are the ways and the means that God expresses himself to his creatures. So God makes himself known by means of revelation. And without this revelation, without God revealing himself to us, man would have no knowledge of God. So commentators, theologians, have long described or categorized the two ways in which God speaks. He, as, as, and, and these two ways are general revelation and special revelation. And this is the focus and the title of the sermon this morning. It's a bit technical here in the introduction. It might, it might, it might do us well to have a whiteboard, so uh, I'll do my best to try to be clear and maybe do a few summaries of uh, what I'm trying to describe. General revelation describes God making himself known to all humanity. So this can be understood in two ways. Okay, we're speaking of general, general revelation. Secondly, we'll look at special revelation. In terms of general revelation, God's revelation to all humanity, it can be understood in two ways. First, it is direct. And by that, what we mean is that it's through creation. And that's, of course, the first uh, half of this text in Psalm chapter 9. It's a focus on God's creation, and that general revelation to us is direct. But it can also be indirect. Okay? So it's direct and it's indirect. And by indirect, what we mean is that it's, uh, God reveals himself in our conscience. Listen to Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Paul writes, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness 
and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, Psalm 19 doesn't address our conscience, as I just mentioned, or what some have called our sense of the divine. So I'm not going to say much more about it than what I'm just saying now. But the fact that all men in all ages have a conscience tells us that we have a moral nature and that we all attempt to hold to some ethical standard. We have this universal sense of right and wrong, and this is an indirect way in which God speaks. So general revelation is God making himself known to all humanity, and this can be either direct through creation or indirect through our conscience. General revelation is also inclusive of God's providence. You see that in the confession, but we'll leave that for now. The second way that God speaks to us is in special revelation. Special revelation describes God making his saving grace known to his chosen people. So special revelation is God making his saving grace known to his chosen people. And special revelation can also be understood in two ways. And first, we have God's deeds. And in the words of uh, or in the conception, you might say, of B.B. Warfield, he, he defines that as theophany and prophecy. Theophany and prophecy. Theophany includes the visible manifestation of God and other supernatural interventions. Think of the burning bush in the Old Testament. And the very highest height of special revelation, in fact, is in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we call, what we celebrate this season, it's the incarnation. That is that God, the Son, took on humanity so that Jesus is actually truly God and truly man. This is, this is how God is revealed or speaks to us in special revelation. Consider, for example, just on that note, Philippians 2, familiar text. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, he found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Those are God's deeds, which is the first aspect of special revelation. And God's deeds can be seen in theophany and prophecy. Well, let's turn to the second aspect of God's deeds in special revelation, this idea of prophecy. And, of course, that includes the dreams and uh, uh, visions that God gave his people, but also, and importantly, through the prophetic word, what is called the prophetic word. The prophetic word is the specific work of the Holy Spirit. We hear this in, in uh, Peter. The specific work of the Holy Spirit in carrying along God's chosen prophet to say what God would have the prophet to say. For example, think of Exodus 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. So prophecy is God speaking through a person that God chooses to deliver God's message. Now it is true that here in Psalms 9, uh, the text does not speak of theophany and prophecy. But the second way to understand special revelation is found in Psalm 
19. It's the very Word of God, what we call the Holy Bible today. And it is described in verses 7 through 9, and it reads again like this, The law of the Lord is perfect. So it's the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. This is the revelation of God's word, and that's the focus here in the second half of Psalm chapter 19. So the first, first half, we have general revelation. Second half, we have special revelation. So let me summarize again what we mean by revelation. By revelation, we mean God's communication of truth from God to man. It is the ways and means that God expresses himself to his creatures. We see this in two ways. First, general revelation. And this is God making himself known to all humanity. It is both an individual's conscience and the magnificent creation that we see all around us on a daily basis. Secondly, special revelation is God making his saving grace known to God's people, to his chosen people. It is, in fact, the prophetic word we see in the Old Testament. It's theophanies, Christophanies, angelophanies, and it's Christ dwelling among us, the incarnation. And in Psalm 19, the second half, it is also God's written word. So general revelation and special revelation is our focus this morning. And with that, again, we're going to turn to the text and work through it. And I'll read, again, portions of it. I first want to outline the chapter uh, to just state what I've, what I've already stated again more explicitly. In verses 1 through 6, this is where we have general revelation, with verses 4 through 6 really as a case study, looking to the sun, uh, S-U-N, as a case study of God's creation. In verses 7, 14, we have special revelation where verses 11 through 14 describe God's servant as a recipient of God's special revelation. Okay? So that's the outline of the chapter. I want to read for you again verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So here we see God's creation in the very skies above. It's a clear testimony and witness to the grandeur and majesty and glory of God. The universe above declares unambiguously that there's a creator, a designer that has meticulously knitted the cosmos together. This God has finely tuned nature, finely tuned our solar system, so that in the end, the earth is a privileged planet. Have you seen that documentary, Privileged Planet, by astrophysicist Guillermo Gonzalez? Great book. A great documentary, encourage you to, to look at it. In it, Gonzalez points out that the earth is designed for life. And it, it, it is in a special position in our solar system, really in the universe. And for example, he gives this evidence, much more, but I'll cite just a few. 
He says that the earth is in the correct location in the galaxy. He says the earth is the correct distance from the sun, what, what uh, astrophysicists call the, a circumsolar habitable zone. Earth is in a planetary system protected by giant planets from comet impacts. Earth is orbiting the right kind of star that is not too cool or too hot. Earth has a large moon that stabilizes its tilt on its axis. Earth is a terrestrial planet with plate tectonics, but with enough heat at its core so that it can generate a magnetic field. And Earth has an oxygen-rich atmosphere to allow for complex life to survive. So all these factors and many, many more must be in place at the exact same time for there to be complex life. So I ask you, what is the probability that the planet somehow exploded into place like a, like a marble throw and that Earth alone would be finely attuned for intelligent life? What is the probability? Let's just say it's not highly probable, like 0% probability. David tells us that it's not by chance that we see from the heavens that there is a God. No, it is, it, is, it is God's handiwork. We look to the heavens and we see that there's something there. There's some designer. In verses 3 and 4, we're told that the universe speaks a common language, a universal language. And because the skies proclaim this, every man in every age has understood that there's a creator God. Every heart and every mind hear this speech loud and clear. This, this universe, this speech is speaking. And it's saying there is a God and he must be worshipped. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 states the same thing. So turn with me there. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. In that passage, Paul writes this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So Paul says that God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature, they're clearly perceived. Every human has, who has ever lived clearly apprehends the glory of God in creation. So God is not hidden from our neighbors. He's not hidden from the tribe in the jungle or in the rainforest. There has never been a man who did not know that there is a creator God. Let me put this point I'm emphasizing into a, the form of a dialogue. Let's say Pastor Brad has a discussion with an atheist. Okay? He's out for dinner celebrating that he has COVID antibodies. And he meets, meets an atheist and he's having a discussion. It might go like this. Atheist, I don't believe in God. We, we, we evolved from a cosmic soup. Pastor Brad responds, yes, you do. The atheist says, what are you talking about? I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God by definition. Pastor Brad responds, what are you talking about? You clearly believe in God, but you are suppressing the truth 
in order to believe a fairy tale for adults, Darwinian evolution. And you simply worship the creature rather than the creator. You think that would happen? Listen, Paul really gets at the heart of this in Romans chapter 1. Let me read this extended passage again in verses 20 through 25. Paul writes, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to this dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We learn from Paul in Romans 1 that general revelation leaves men without excuse. But is it sufficient for salvation? Is general revelation alone sufficient enough for salvation? And the answer is an unequivocal no. According to Bavink, and I quote, the knowledge that general revelation can supply is not only meager and inadequate, but also uncertain and consistently mingled with error. We do know there's a God. Every man knows that there's a creator God, a designer. But it's meager and inadequate in terms of saving us. And it's uncertain and consistently mingled with error. And most importantly, does nature tell us or proclaim to us the person of Christ? The person of Christ is absolutely necessary for salvation. He's the only way of salvation. So let me put it another way and look at the text again. Look at the whole of the text of Psalm 19. Verses 1 through 6 without verses 7 through 11 will never result in verses 12 through 14. Verses 1 through 6 without verses 7 through 11 will never result in verses 12 through 14. What do I mean? Acknowledging God in creation in a general way cannot result in being acceptable in God's sight. To be acceptable in God's sight, special revelation is needed. A special revealing of God by God to man. Let's turn to the Westminster Confession of Faith to flesh that out. Chapter 1 of the Confession is titled, Of the Holy Scripture. If you'd like to follow along, in the back of the Trinity Psalter on page 919, you'll find the Confession. It reads like this, and bear with me, it's a bit long. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. So, speaking there of general revelation. 
Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church. This is special revelation. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan in the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing. So this is special revelation, the specific kind of special revelation of God's written word. So the divines in with this in section one. The Holy Scripture is most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. Okay, so I want to make four really critical uh, points in response to this. Uh, Number one, God's written word better preserves and propagates the truth. So more than visions and dreams, for example. It's more clear and it's permanent. God's written word more surely establishes and comforts the church. We believe the verbal plenary inspiration so that every word in all its parts are inspired and authoritative. Uh, Thirdly, scripture is most necessary unto salvation. The skies point to a creator God, but they're insufficient. They're insufficient to show us Christ and him crucified. And lastly, the various ways God spoke in the Old Testament and in the embryonic church has ceased. God has finally and fully spoken in his word. And in his word, we have the gospel. If you recall, Paul wrote to his mentee, Timothy, in 2 Timothy. He wrote this, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Or again, back to Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The special and gracious revelation of God's written word is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is completely sufficient. Look now at verses 7 through 9. So David transitions from general revelation to special revelation and specifically to God's word. And uh, he articulates what we've been describing here. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So first we note these words. Law and testimony, precepts, commandment, rules. These are something of synonyms for scripture. And interestingly, if you look at Psalm 119, 
They're used exactly in the same order in the first seven verses. We also notice whose laws they are, whose testimonies, whose rules, whose precepts and commandments. They are the Lord's. We also notice the character of God's word. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. And it is true. And then next we see the impact of God's words in God's people. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. And it enlightens the eyes. Lastly, David tells us in verse 9 that the Holy Scriptures endure forever and are righteous altogether. Remember, brothers and sisters, that Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I pray that we live with a passion and deep understanding of the psalmist, of David, knowing that, as he writes in verse 10, God's word is more desirable than gold, even fine gold. It is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The psalmist David is expressing that the word of God is of inestimable value. It is more precious than anything we could purchase in this world. It is finer than the finest pleasures of life. We are We are born coveters, aren't we? We know what we like and we know what we want. But whatever those things are, those those good blessings that God gives or those not good, nothing is more fine than the Bible. Nothing is of more value than the Word of God. Nothing is more precious to us than what He's revealed to us in His written Word. brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 11, we read that in keeping God's law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandments, and his rules, there is great reward. So I ask you, do you treasure God's word? Do you study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed? Do you seek God's voice speaking to you in his word? Do you proclaim God's word in your home, teaching and training your children? Do you wield the sword of the Spirit? And do you disciple others with that biblical teaching that accords with godliness? Do you believe the word of the cross is the power of God for those being saved? Let me conclude with this. God's special revelation in the written word reveals God's will. And what is God's will? John 6:40 here Jesus is speaking he says for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day if you have not recognized your sin and depravity and placed your trust in the lord and savior jesus christ do so today I pray that the Holy Spirit, by the power of the gospel, will open your eyes and your heart and cause you to be born again. And to the Christian, as we transition from 2020 to 2021, which can't happen soon enough, 
Let us proclaim in solidarity with King David. As he does here in the, in the final verse of Psalm 19, let the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your revelation to us, without which we would not know you. We could not know you. We would be stumbling around dumb and in the dark. You have shown us that there is a God in every man, in all humanity, in all ages, in the heavens. We look to see your majesty as we, as we see the giant sequoias, or we think of the complexity of the eyes, or we consider the sun as we rotate around it. But Lord, you have revealed yourself much clearer than that. And to your people, you have revealed yourselves in the past in visions and dreams. Through the prophetic word, calling a man of God a prophet to proclaim your word. And finally, you have come in human form and emptied yourself and took on human flesh. And you are truly God and truly man, Lord Jesus. And you have left us your written word. It is true and it is inerrant. It is infallible. We thank you for it, Lord. It guides our life. It directs our path. It is a light unto our path, Father. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up the word of God in this Advent seasoned and beyond and every day that we might follow you and love you as you prompt us and guide us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.